It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. That being said, right now, let's go to a nice gentleman that absolutely is chomping on the bit. And here he is, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you doing today? Well, I'm just, uh, I'm a shade almost to 10, a perfect 10. Everything is going so well, except I can't find anything on my desk. What are you going to talk to us about this morning, Dr. History? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go back to about 1823, and I'm going to talk about a guy named Hugh Glass. Okay. Does that ring a bell at all? You know, it does. i, I got to be honest with you. Hugh Glass, now, for some strange reason, wasn't he a mountain man or something? Yep, and that's where we're going to head right now. Okay. All right, 1823, there's a guy by the name of Major Henry, and he's got a trapping party, and they're heading out to trap beaver. Okay. So 1823, and Jim Bridger's with this group. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, they just got through uh, with an Indian battle that had taken two, uh, wounded two of his men and killed two more. So they were in the heart of Indian country. And Now, this was Jim Bridger's first hard Indian fight, and as soon as the war party had pulled out, Henry and his men made tracks towards Yellowstone. Now, along with all the young men in Henry's party was one gray-bearded, old hunter from Pennsylvania by the name of Hugh Glass. Now, this guy was a wiry, tough old fellow, and uh, that's pretty much who we're going to talk about. So they're going along, heading up towards the Yellowstone, and old Glass, uh, he went on ahead of the party to hunt because, you know, they had to rely on what they could kill uh, to feed the the trapping party. Mm -hmm. Now, grizzly bears were really numerous along the upper Missouri but perhaps nowhere more so than where they were right now on what they call the Grand River. Now, there's a lot of white men and Indians that have been torn to pieces by these beasts, and in those days the bears had not been hunted very much, and they didn't fear man. Uh, And often they ran in groups of two or three, and they would instantly attack or chase any man they saw. Now, they weren't very keen-sighted, and... uh, The man who was seen by them was generally too close to get away, so he had to kill or be killed on the spot. Now, these bears were terrific adversaries. They were hard to kill. Uh, Lances, arrows made little impression on their thick coats, their tough hides, their iron muscles covered with layers of fat, and even bullets. I mean, if you shot a bear, you had to be pretty accurate where you shot him, or it just didn't do much. In fact, uh, one story tells of... uh, a bear that had uh, 15 rifle shells in him, and he was still running. You know, when you go grizzly bear hunting, I think there's a lot of truth to it, that you always want to take another person with you that is much slower. (laughs) That's right, and maybe a better shot. Yeah. (laughs) So the trappers, you know, they dignified the grizzly with a title all his own. They called, refer to all of them as Old Ephraim. Uh-huh. Now, the Indians, even, you know how they counted coup on their enemy, if they could get it close enough to touch their enemy, that was counting coup. They also did that with grizzly bears. If they could get close enough to touch the bear with their lance, that was considered pretty brave. And, of course, anybody that killed a bear, they always wore the claws uh, around their neck as a, as a necklace. 
So here we have old Hugh Glass and a companion. They're, like I said, they're out in front of the hunting party away, or the, the group, and uh, Glass was in the lead. He was following the stream, and he was forcing his way through a dense thicket of uh, plum br bushes. And when Glass came out of the thicket into a small clearing by some water, he found himself within about a few paces of big old mama bear and two of her pretty good-sized cubs lying on the warm sand. Oh, boy. Old Glass, he knew there wasn't no any chance to run, and he was hemmed in by the dense brush. Uh, though he really through, he really couldn't even run through the brush. So everything pretty much depended on the single shot in his long rifle. Well, before Glass could level his rifle, that old she bear had him by the throat, mm. jerked him from the ground, flung him down, gasping with a sickening thud. Crouching upon the old uh, helpless old man, she uh, caught his thigh in her teeth, tore off a mouthful of his flesh, and then she turned away to her cubs. So here's old Glass laying there, breathless, bleeding, and so he took advantage of her move to escape. Well, he scrambled to his knees, but the moment he moved, she was back on top of him again. Pounced on him, her strong teeth met in his shoulder, she shook her head and rolled him over. Glass threw up his arms to kind of shield his face and throat. Well, she caught the, them between her teeth, bit him severely again and again through the wrists and the arms. And as he describes it, he says he heard uh, as well as felt uh, teeth rasping on his bones. Ooh. So, you know, this, this wasn't a good thing. So, you know, you make some, you make all of our listeners. He yells, his uh, hunting party, or partner, plunged through the brush and tried to help, but. As soon as he got close, the nearest cub uh, kind of caught the spirit of this, and he rushed after the partner. Uh -huh. And the partner had to jump into the river and was standing there waist deep, and he raised his rifle and shot the cub, and then he yelled for help. Well, by that time, the main party had heard the cries and the shots of the hunters, and they charged to the rescue, and when they came out and they saw the bear growling through bloody fangs standing over their uh, comrade, and this bear stood six feet tall, shaggy, waving her great paws with those long, sharp hooks ready to attack. And, of course, at this point, a bunch of rifles cracked, and the bear dropped and uh, over the body of old uh, Hugh Glass. Mm -mm. Well, the trappers gra uh, dragged the heavy carcass uh, from their com comrade's body, and, of course, there was no surgeon in the party. Old Glass had only one chance in a hundred to live. He'd been really, really torn up and mauled. Well, they tried to help him up, but he couldn't even stand. He fell back down on the sand, rolling and screaming in agony, covered with blood. Now, Major Henry and his men made the poor guy a bed of robes and blankets under the shade of a tree, and but there really wasn't anything else they could do. So and that night, they camped on the spot, and all night long, they could hear old Hughes groans and moaning. And Anyway, the next morning, Major Henry called a council, you know, what to do. Now, every man knew that the party had to go on at once because August was already half gone, and if the beaver fur were to be taken, the men had to, had to hurry. They had to get going. So the whole success of their year's venture depended upon getting to the work promptly, and yet they knew that old Glass was in no condition to travel. Now, had he only been a little bit wounded or injured, you know, they might have tied him in his saddle, or even if he'd have broken a leg or a gunshot wound, they might have put him into a travoy and carted him across the prairie or... Even if he'd been just sick, you know, they could have put him in a litter between two mules. But everybody could see that he was unfit to travel, even in a litter. He could not even be moved. Now, one reason for the success of the mountain men was, of course, they had the habit of adapting themselves completely to the circumstances in which they found themselves. So what they did, 
when in Indian country, you do as the Indians do. And when a Sioux warrior was badly wounded on the warpath and could not travel, his comrades would generally leave him, and usually at his own request, and they'd put him in some comfortable spot, a cave or a sheltered thicket, and they'd leave, uh, you know, a gun or a bone arrow, whatever, dried meat, a buffalo robe, and whatever else uh, that might have uh, helped him along. And, you know, if he happened to recover and uh, turned up at camp, all the better. If he didn't, he was back there dead somewhere. You make it sound so user-friendly, like, my goodness, let's all belong to the fraternity. We're all going to get along until you get sick, and then we're going to drop you like a hot rock. <laughs> well, like I say, when in Indian country, you do as Indians do. So it came to this. Hugh Glass would have to stay behind and take his chance. Oh, boy. Now, Major Henry and his men, they weren't, they weren't all that hard-boiled. They weren't all that tough just right away and leave the old guy to die alone. So the Major decided that two men must remain behind and care for Glass until he died or, or was able to travel. And, of course, they didn't expect that. They, they pretty well knew he was going to die. So Major Henry called for volunteers. Naturally, nobody was eager to remain with Glass in that dangerous region, uh, region because there was Indians. Uh, there was a bunch of warring tribes around, hostile Indian, Indians, and uh, it wasn't, you know, a place you wanted to hang around. So, so Major Henry proposed that every man contribute to a purse to be given to the men who volunteered to stay. Well, that seemed fair, and every man pledged a dollar. So $80 was contributed, which would have been $40 for each man, which wasn't too bad. Um, and so for the first time, Jim Bridger felt uh, how hard life on the frontier could be. But he was kind of moved by the helpless old man's agony. And so Jim cleared his throat and he said, well, he said, I'll reckon I'll stay. So there was a kind of an awkward silence for a while and nobody else volunteered. Finally, a, an older guy by the name of Fitzgerald pushed forward and he said, well, he says, I guess I can stay. And $40 was actually about a half a year's wages. Mm -hmm. So really it was it was a pretty good deal if you survived i guess mm -hmm. so henry and his men went on fitzgerald and young jim began their vigil by the deathbed of the old moaning and groaning mangled uh, gray beard well two days dragged dragged by and old hugh glass refused to die they fed him some soup and dressed his wounds with cold water which is the only thing they had they tried to keep the flies away they didn't dare build a fire because they were afraid of Indians. Mm -hmm. Well, on the third day, so far as they could tell, Glass was no better and he was no worse. And that morning, Fitzgerald saw some Indian signs, so he was getting scared. Now, Fitzgerald declared that he wouldn't stay any longer. He says, we ain't doing no good here. He said, the old man's sure to die. If we stick around much longer, we're going to be losing our hair. Well, the younger man, Jim Bridger, gave in. Both agreed to abandon old Glass and strike out after their comrades. And old Glass, he was barely conscious. He would slip in and out of consciousness. And uh, But Fitzgerald knew that if he turned up at Fort Henry with word that Glass had not died, uh, that would not be a good thing. On the other hand, if Glass were declared dead, it would be necessary to have his uh, have proof. Uh, so he would expect uh, to bring his uh, gear in. Uh, and so Fitzgerald and the boys stole the old man's rifle, his powder horn, his bullet pouch, his knife, his flint, and they sneaked away that night, and they left him with nothing. You know, that's what I like about these guys. They were just the best kind of friends you could ever have. <laughs> yeah. And, well, so they left, and they caught up with uh, Major Henry uh, about the time they reached the Yellowstone. So 
So here we've got old uh, Glass laying there. When he came to, you know, he's on the Grand River, and he found that his friends and his weapons were gone. He found himself without food, sick and wounded, only the clothes he wore, and he did have a buffalo rope to lay on. Uh, you, you could see that you might be a little discouraged at that point. A little? A little, you know. But here's the deal. He resolved to survive to avenge himself upon those guys who had abandoned him. Mm. I mean, there was nobody to help him, uh, but his his desire for revenge was pretty strong. So with nothing to eat, he knew he could not stay where he was. So near the spring where he was, he found berries, and he, he sucked on their juice, and he gained enough strength to creep up to what's called the high prairie towards Fort Kiowa. And then that was the nearest place where he could found, uh, count on finding white men. And the fort lay about 200 miles away. So here's old glass. He started to crawl to that fort. Now, after some time, he saw a pack of wolves pulling down a buffalo calf, and so he lay low until the wolves had killed their victim, and then he crept up and scared off the wolves, and he squatted down by the torn carcass. He didn't have a knife, so he just gnawed off the meat uh, he needed uh, with his teeth, and then he stuffed uh, his shirt full of uh, whatever raw flesh he could get, and he kept on crawling. So he kept on gaining strength, nursing his wrath towards these guys that left him, until finally he got inside of the Cheyenne River, he followed it down the Missouri, hobbled down the Missouri to the fort, and there he rested until a boatload of trappers came by and he joined their party. Now, uh, consider old Jim, okay? Jim began to wonder, you know, he said, maybe the old man had not died. And so these thoughts kept Jim, uh, you know, they plagued him, you know, for quite a while. So. Picture this, one night, uh, one cold night, uh, coming back empty-handed from a long hunt, Jim Bridger put his horse in the corral of this little fort, and he started walking across the inside of the fort, the stockade, and suddenly Jim straightened up. Through the gloom, he saw standing motionless, a skinny figure with a long gray beard mm. and glittering eyes. This doesn't bode well. No, it doesn't. His heart stopped. There was old glass. The old man's ghost had caught up with Jim at last, and speechless, Jim stopped. Well, old Glass, he came a little closer, and this fierce old man's face was now distorted with rage. He looked down at old Jim, and and before before Jim could get away uh, out of there, why, the old gray ghost just quickly reached out a bony arm, and her bony hand, and lay it on Jim's shoulder, and... Uh, well, Jim was actually kind of glad because uh, the old man was alive uh, and kicking, but uh, and he was glad. And uh, but his uh, his secret was out. And old Glass Jake gave Jim a shove, raised his new rifle, and shouted to Jim. He says, "Speak up, young man." He says, "Before I kill you." Now, about this time, uh, all the trappers uh, had heard some noise, and so they came out of their cabins and to see what was going on and. They saw old Glass standing there, and they come up around him and slapped him on the back and said, Hey, we thought you were dead. You're not dead. And they shook his hand, and, you know, they were glad to see the old guy. You know, that was a real sharp observance. You're not dead. Boy, these guys are really going to go to the head of the class. We thought you was dead. Yeah. So about this time, Major Henry came out, and he said, What's going on here? And that about that time, he saw old Hugh Glass, and... And he took one step forward and he pushed the barrel of the old man's rifle up and he said, there won't be any shooting in my fort. 
So at that point, uh, Major Henry took the two of them aside, and, and in a few words, Jim told his shameful story. Glad to get it off his chest, and he denied nothing. He did not try to defend himself or lay the blame on Fitzgerald. Uh, he just uh, basically, you know, just told the story as it was. I mean, he carried this heavy load of shame, and he was glad to see the old man go. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, neither the major nor his comrades really said anything. But old Jim had learned the hardest way that a man's wisest plan is to follow duty and not selfish interest. And so in some ways, this was a good thing, because the rest of his life, Jim Bridger looked out for other men. He was very much more so aware of, of men in need. And... Uh, so I guess you could say sometimes a bad mistake in early life kind of proves to be the making of a man. And so it did kind of make uh, Jim Bridger what he was uh, and uh, taught him a pretty valuable lesson. Now, old uh, Fitzgerald, you know, he was the other guy that left him. Yep. And Hugh Glass wasn't done. So he kept uh, looking and looking. And by now we're a couple of years down the road. Well, old Hugh Glass got to a place called Fort Atkinson, and sure enough, there was Fitzgerald. Now, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just a minute, Doc. Hold it. Fort okay. Atkinson where? Because that was the name of my hometown in Wisconsin, Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. Uh, let's see. You know, I don't know. For some reason, I had the impression it was down south, like oh. uh, Texas or Arizona oh, okay. or someplace. All right. Well, it could be back there. Uh Fort Atkinson, uh, yeah, it could be back there where you were raised. Okay. But anyway, he walks into the, and there is Fitzgerald. The problem was he found Fitzgerald in uniform, a soldier in the Army. Uh-oh. Now, this wasn't good because uh, Glass conferred with the commanding officer, and the commanding officer talked Glass, Glass out of shooting the rascal because he was in the military, and it was kind of against the law to shoot somebody that was in the army kind of yeah you just didn't you just didn't kill a soldier like uh -huh. even though the guy was uh, had left him to die uh-huh so that's the story of old hugh his revenge kept him alive and he still wasn't able to take out his revenge on the two guys that uh, left him to die and took all of his stuff took his like i said took his knife his gun his flint everything and left him there to die now they made a movie i've only got a minute left here but they made a movie about hugh glass and um i can't it wasn't a man called horse it was um oh good heavens i forgot the name of the movie and it starred that english actor oh good heavens my mind just went blank which is nothing unusual for me but uh they made a movie about that did you ever see the movie I don't know. I don't believe that. Yeah, it was an excellent movie. And uh, basically, many of the highlights that you talked about, uh, they featured in the film. Uh, you mentioned the buffalo carcass. And I remember in the movie, he crawled and uh, pulled his way up by the buffalo carcass and literally hid inside the carcass when the Indians went by. Yeah, I, probably, yeah, I haven't heard that, but that's... Yeah. But it happened, no problem. Holy smokes, that was a good story this morning about Hugh Glass. The minute you said that, I, I knew I'd heard that name someplace before. And the moral of the story is, be careful who you go camping with. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, you know, we've talked before about how tough these guys were. Uh, you know, this just goes to show you again how tough these mountain men were. 
I mean, they weren't your ordinary guys. No way. And it was such a short period of time, too. Uh, the actual yeah. Mountain Man period, I don't think, was more than actually about 50 years. Yeah, really starting in the early 1800s and... Uh, yeah, that's right. All right. Well, you did it again. And, Doc, real quick, uh, tell everybody about doctor-history.com quickly. Okay. They can listen to all the stories for the last oh, about two or three months. And today's story uh, on Dr. Dr. and then the dash, history.com. Just go to our website, and you can listen to past stories, or you can re-listen to today's story. All right. And, and tell uh, your friends. I tell you what, tell everybody, because it's really an exciting uh, recap of all the history stories that we've had on this program, and I think you're going to love it. Thank you very much, Dr. Ken Turner, better known as Dr. History. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.